0: Hey everyone! Uh, welcome to another episode of the All the Things ADHD Podcast. All oh, the things. Oh, so close, Ugh. so close. Right at the end, it just was like, man, we're done. Um, I am, I am your co-host, Lee the set. and I am your co-host, Amy
1: Audio Feedback Morrison.
0: Yeah. So. So t- um, today we are going to, or today and next week probably, but for now today, and you'll understand once we get to the topic, we're going to talk about the um, largely about the maximalist tendencies that uh, people that we have as people with ADHD. I mean, we've 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 named the podcast all the things ADHD, um, and that meme from Hyperbole and a Half, right, where it's like clean all the things, um, but we certainly do. Uh, in a lot of cases, um, tend to go overboard uh, with things when we start hyperfocusing, when we um, get obsessed uh, with with ADHD. And I, I think
1: we can point to this podcast itself, Lee, as an example um, <laughs> of doing all the things, but also at the same time doing the bare minimum, right? And yes. so that's the sort of ADHD, all the things, Paradox is that um, when you and I decided we wanted to do this podcast together, we sat down and we recorded probably two and a half hours of audio. <laughs> the first no, no. Four. We recorded four hours of audio. Four hours of audio. We're like, uh uh-oh, we got to cut this down. Um, And every time we meet to record, we're like, we're just going to do one episode today. But then we talk so much about so many different things in such levels of detail, chasing every side quest (laughs) off to its conclusion, uh, that it winds up being two and sometimes three episodes. But then right? You, we were just talking before you press record. You uh, often find yourself on Thursday nights it's going, oh crap, we have to publish a podcast tomorrow. I guess I should edit that. And you like cut the episodes at a natural pause point and you record an intro and then it's done. There is no sound balancing. There is no, like we don't have script meetings where we talk in Gosh, no. about what we're going to do. Uh, and in fact, t- today's episode is brought to you by Lee and I, um, talking with one another in the 30 seconds before uh, we pressed record and the 30 seconds after the Zoom meeting started, or are like, ah, maybe we're gonna talk about too much today, yeah. right? So we, we do like no prep essentially, yep. right? And we do very little editing and we put it out there, right? And so that's very minimal, but the maximum yes. is we have endless amounts of things to say. And as it turns out, like magpies, we've already collected a ton of anecdotes and shiny things that fill out whatever it is we've decided to talk about. So that um, that movement in between like just barely getting it put together and oh my God, we've done way too much, I think is the space in which many ADHD people reside and that's kind of what we want to talk
0: about today yeah even this podcast itself because we don't have enough things other things going on in our lives that we're like sure let's just add a podcast to it that sounds great like we can right. do that is, yeah. is that's not a problem is it no I'm gonna make not. my to-do right. list shorter right yeah <laughs> exactly exactly Somehow. I could I squeeze it in the yeah, in the yeah. in all my free time mm-hmm. But I, and so there's like, I was also thinking just about, and, I, and again, what, what made me think about this is, um, you're writing and you are sharing how, um, you know, you, you, and, and, and in writing sometimes cutting is good, right? Cutting mm-hmm. is good, but cutting is hard. Um, and I was thinking about my own sewing, um, where I've gone all in on sewing and I, I've sewn, I think 22 garments, Oh my this year so far
1: right.
0: um you know five in the month of may which i thought no may is busy i gotta take it easy in the month of may um <laughs> and and i'm gonna keep sewing right? right like i i had literally i have no more coat hangers i have no more room in my closet they are hey the garments are everywhere in the bedroom like they they move from the bed to the back of my chair back to the bed again um because i don't have anywhere to put them uh and, and, and yet I have, you know, I cut another dress and um, I just put together a top pattern that's going to look cute for a whole bunch of the, 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 the partial pieces of fabric that I have left over from other dresses that I've made that I right. love the fabric and want to use other things for. So, um, yeah, <laughs> but then there's also like when I'm actually sewing, it's like. It's good enough,
1: (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. So, you're gonna sew like a huge number of garments, um, and you're gonna keep a huge amount of fabric chunks around the house, and you're gonna buy a huge amount of patterns, and you're gonna spend a huge amount of hours doing this. Um, and then when you're actually doing it, you're gonna be like, ah, it's good
0: enough, right? So, what do you mean I have to hem it?
1: Right, exactly. You'd rather have like 22 different dresses, uh, that you've sewn in like 24 days, right, Uh, with some errors, one error, significant error in each of them, uh, five dresses that you've, like, sort of taken more care with, right, so we're really, really good at sort of, like, that initial energy to get the gist of things, right, Um, or to do the brain dump part or the, like, blocking part of something, but when it comes to kind of refining something maybe down to what is required, uh, or necessary, right? Uh, that sometimes we get other people to edit the things that we tell to them because we don't have the sort of self-control to pick the one thing to say that's right. So we say 45 things and hopefully mm-hmm. one of them was the right thing. And the person listening is going to be able to tell what that is, right? And, and with your dresses, you just so enjoy starting them and having them right, that you will start an enormous number of them and delight in having as many of them as possible completed. But there's a whole chunk in the middle that would require maybe a little bit more attention to detail uh, and self-editing where maybe you struggle. And with my writing, and I had been posting, I could at least tweets online right now because the only way that I can keep writing is by imagining there's an audience. And so if I'm writing about my process of writing, that's my sort of audience proxy right now. And I (laughs) just this morning cut an 806 word out of my fourteen pages uh, of analysis of RoboCop that needs to be about seven pages of analysis uh, of RoboCop. But every time I sit down, I just keep adding more details because I have so much knowledge about this yeah. movie, and yeah. I like have the scenes <laughs> memorized, and they're so like I'm a literary close reader. It's what I do. It means you can take one poem and write thirty pages about it. Well, give me a two-hour movie you know, I could produce you an entire encyclopedic series of books about each individual scene in Robocop. And I would enjoy that because I love chasing my ideas all the way to when they run out of steam. I don't like choosing which ideas are necessary for a coherent argument that has a beginning, a middle and an end. I just wanna do these really impressive, incredibly detailed close readings that are me reacting to something that's in front of me, right? For 14 pages. Uh, Instead of like, well, how do I make this make sense in the context of a chapter that covers five other dystopian movies, right? That is part of a book that makes a larger overarching argument about this, right? And so there's both too much and too little. And that's sort of where I've been making jokes on Twitter about like, deletion is the greater part of valor. Yes. <laughs> part, right. It's so hard for me. Um to cut my little ideas. I just, even when I'm trying to cut them, while I'm trying to cut them, I have more of them. And then I add them. So I'm like trying to make this one chapter shorter and it was 57 pages and 17,000 words. And then all of a sudden it was 69 pages and 19,000 words. And I was like, how did I I make this longer? I I thought I I cut things. I thought I cut things. And I would like (laughs) cut one sentence and then add seven. Yeah. Right. Um, astonishing. I'm just like overwhelmed at my own capacity to produce the raw materials of my own scholarship, but my inability to kind of like manage it down to something presentable.
0: And that's one of the biggest things, because I write as well and I word vomit and all that. That's one of the the greatest thing about sort of going alt-act is that as an academic very often, at least in the humanities, writing is such a solitary activity right? And the peer review process is so not, not transparent. Yeah. Right? And it's like the
1: opposite it, of instant gratification. Yeah. Too,
0: right. Yeah. But, but also just this idea that, you know, when I submit something to the Chronicle or I'm currently writing um, two textbook chapters, you know, I know it's going to editors who want to work with me and collaborate with me to make the chapter better as right. opposed to like, here's a whole bunch of feedback that may or may not be useful. And according to my ito- idiosyncratic ideas about what this chapter should be, and if I had written it, you know, not that all academics are like, but like the nature of peer review is very much set up as adversarial. It is Absolutely. not set up to be collaborative, right? right? Like you get the, and I understand the point of blind, double blind peer review. I totally get it, but it is not conducive for, you know, you get the feedback, but there's no help, no help whatsoever. Whereas, you know, right now I'm getting comments on Google Docs and, you know, my editor at the Chronicle makes changes and asks questions. And she's like, does this sound better? And I'm like, yes, as a matter of fact, it does. And I never in a million years, if you had said, make this sound better, I would not have been able to do it, right? Right. But like, she's like, this is legit. Like, you know, editing and and writing in a non-academic or less academic, I should say, context has been fantastic because I can, I can rely on other people to do those kinds of things that are hard for me. Right. And, and what's, and what's, what's great is I'm really good at the things that are hard for other people, which is to get started and just put words on paper.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think I have a lot of probably, um, internalized shame about that. Um, right. Because I think like, I'm just sitting here, doing fantastically clever close readings of things and then I've read 47 different academic articles about something and then I wrote a hilarious sentence with a sustained metaphor that goes for a whole paragraph but now it's twice as long as it needs to be and I have no idea how to fix it right because that's where I I fall down and especially because the process is so isolating right so yeah. I Um, appreciate having audiences, why I love teaching so much. And I love like giving keynotes that there's questions after I love blogging and tweeting. And I love doing this podcast because there's uh, an immediate sense of audience. Like we're going to record this today and in a couple of weeks, or maybe this week, I don't know, it's going to be out on the internet and then people are going to respond to it. And so it focuses me on the immediate goal of communication, right? Where so much of other kinds of writing are about proving to a far distant audience that you're not an imposter, like it's not the greatest sense of audience to go into a work task with. And I think that probably applies to people um, in in a lot of different jobs, not just writing things where like um, many of us with ADHD are really great at generating ideas, right? Starts 45 different things, cannot decide which four of them are worth pursuing stops yeah. everything, right? And so I think a lot of us, because those are not the problems that, that neurotypical people tend to have, right? Yeah, uh, Not like this super abundance of ideas and energy to start new things and rip the whole world apart and start over. Um, And they kind of p- can plod along fairly steadily um, and concretely according to like the Gantt chart of how things are supposed to get done and do not struggle, <laughs> right? With this sort of like getting enough done in the right kind of order Um, and so that those of us who in some ways feel like quite clever and competent at generating interesting ideas feel like the very easiest part of that which is just cut some of those ideas because you cannot pursue all of them right here yeah the easy part and when it's not um and certainly in uh in academic publishing no one will help you with that you no. have to pay for somebody. And in fact, yes. I have just hired an editor who's going to read my stuff for me um, and tell me what to cut because I don't know. And there's like so much shame around um, seeming like the the flighty one, right? Oh, you're all mm-hmm. full of great ideas, but you never follow through on any of them. It's because I can't pick, right? Yeah. Or I followed through on all of them to 25% and then I ran out of word count and now I don't know what to do, right? So, yeah. So we're too much often in the early stages and then not enough at the end stages does that match
0: yeah yeah oh no i definitely think that that is that's the case and part of it i think is um and this is something that is common for people with adhd is we again have trouble visualizing the finish Mm -hmm. right and so they say with kids with adhd you know you have to show them a final product yeah if they've never seen it before right um and so it's not just do your project it's here's an example of what a finished project will look like let's go through the steps together to to get that final project and so we have a lot of like that's why i i wrote about this is that i am lockstep into only making the garments in the fabric that i have seen them in oh right so because so it gives me a picture so like I just made a polka dot wrap dress. I became obsessed with making the polka dot wrap dress because that's the picture that the woman is wearing right. on the on the cover, so to speak, of the envelope of the right. pattern is a woman in that exact dress in a black and white polka dot dress. And as soon as I saw that, I could not picture that dress in anything other than that. Right. You locked right right well, on. I was locked in on it, and so like, like a baby duck imprinting yeah. on an image. Yeah, no, but that but all of my patterns are like that, where, like, I'm I'm trying to learn and figure out because I can't see the final project. Right. right? I can't see it. So like, I'm, I'm okay. And I, I figured out like the different ones, like I've seen enough different kinds of shirt dresses in my life, that that one's an easy one for me to see in different fabrics. Right. Right. But not all different fabrics, I can see it in solids and I can see it in pinstripes. I cannot see it in a floral. Right. I can see florals in a wrap dress um because I've seen lots of floral wrap dresses right. um but but then I'll, I'll get these other fabrics and I'm like well so and and I devised systems to help me sort of filter it's like it's a woven it's this wide it's this long it is suitable for these kinds of patterns that I have and so therefore and then I, I end up going in and being like well the picture shows it in a solid so I can't possibly do it in a print
1: right so you're doing exactly right. that thing you're like yeah you're getting 10 million patterns with 10 million pictures on them and then you're sort of randomly collecting fabrics and then you're trying to match the fabrics to the to the things like you could be more intentional about it right you could be more yeah. deliberate about i want to try this or i would imagine the final product that i want doesn't look like any of these pictures here which is like what sewing is right sewing is yeah. like this is a series of shapes <laughs> right uh that you put together in the following ways and you can use like a, a different weight fabric you can line it or not you can use different patterns you can have patterns where like things have to match up or where they don't you could even like color block it if you wanted but if you can't yeah. picture it right yeah. because you have all the things at the beginning so many ideas at the beginning but no idea of what the end thing looks like then you're just going to be like me with all my beautiful sentences right yeah like they're all individually great all the pieces are amazing but like we don't know how to make our own garment <laughs> yeah no that.
0: this is exactly it and and so it's like oh that pattern is beautiful and then oh this fabric is beautiful and it's like loops and and for other people that's easy for them right that's like yeah. oh that that fabric will look gorgeous in that per- with that particular pattern right that yeah. will make a gorgeous wrap dress or I can see that as a you know a, a, a gorgeous fit and flare or whatever it is whereas for me it's like can I find an example of a floral print in this pattern so then then I can picture it for myself and actually do it right right like I know I could right like no one is stopping me like I you know no one has stopped me from saying this fabric and this pattern let's put them together
1: yeah. other well, than too- like
0: this didn't come for you <laughs> yeah right yeah, like that's the whole point of like you said it's the whole point of sewing right yeah. like the whole point is this liberation that it's like I get I'm not beholden to what designers decide yeah you know I get to is the good. Well, like
1: maybe this, this is similar. You're putting me in mind of something I used to do when my child was, was younger, um, is I would go to one store and buy all of their clothes for a given season, like at once, like, because Mm -hmm. I could not hold in my head, like how many pairs of pants does my kid have and what colors are they? So what types of shirts um, should I buy for sort of maximum, uh, outfit interoperability, right? Like I absolutely could not. Do that. And so I would like go into like Bonnie Togs or whatever. Uh, And I would be like four pairs of junk beds. And I would like actually lay them out on the shopping cart, and not put them in the shopping cart, but lay them out on the shopping cart. And then I would grab a bunch of shirts and then see if all the shirts match yeah. with all the pants. And then think like, then I would like get all the mix and match pieces so that I could build a whole wardrobe at the same time. But I had to be able to see all of the pieces at once. Yeah. Like I knew. And I would like sort of happier to go there and like spend $300 buying like a year's worth of clothes all in yeah. one shot uh, because for me that was much easier than like oh you know there's a sale on jogging pants at Walmart I'm gonna get a couple pairs of these because that'll go with this because I can't remember like yeah what my kid has like I also get overwhelmed when I'm like shopping for myself and I'm like you know I want some new cool pieces and then like my husband will be like oh yeah what shoes are you worth that I'm like I don't even remember what shoes are yeah like I can't <laughs> recall to mind the things that I already own or what things are going to go with. Or sometimes I open my closet and I'm surprised by what's in there. And I'm like, as you know, Marie Kondo. So I don't keep things I don't adore, but even like the fairly minimalist um, amount of items that I have, I can't (laughs) remember that I own them until I see them. And so like our maximalist tendencies of like, oh, here's another idea I had. Oh, here's another idea I had. Oh, this is a really cool t-shirt. I want this t-shirt. It'll go great with, I don't know, something, right? Yeah, Is that in between that level of excitement about the possibilities that things open up for us is this complete falling apart at the sort of structural level of how does all of this fit into a wardrobe a book project, you know, uh, uh, the fabrics that I have at home, what's in my fridge. You know, people ask me, like, yes. what are we going to have for supper? I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, that will so, lead back to the
0: supper discussion,
1: right? Like, like back to the food. Right. But then I'll be like, you know, let's have a dinner party and I'm going to make these seven different recipes. And now that's like a fun project for me to do once. Right. But this like project every day of like have a fridge full of things and be able to call it to mind and then be able to edit <laughs> like what's yeah. in the fridge into a meal you can make in, in the time constraints. Right. Like I think exactly. Yeah. We have, and it's, we
0: have, oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's why we tend to, to end up accumulating a lot of things because we literally forget we have them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I find that like that's one of the reasons I know now why my kids want everything out in their room
1: because mm-hmm. as soon
0: as they put it away it they literally forget. ceases to exist mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so like if I tell my daughter to put her paints away she will never use them again right right like it, and she loves to paint and she'll and um you know it's it's and again it's those priority things right like if if she the if the paints are out she will see them and be like oh I could be painting if she's if they're not out then it's like I'm Bored, I don't know what to do. It's like or, or mom, I need more paints. I'm like, why do you right. need more paints? I just bought you paints. Uh, I don't know where those are, right? We they got put say. away and like literally like just left.
1: This disappeared now. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, um, when I was growing up, uh, we had a fairly small house, but it was open concept, right? So the whole main floor, you could see everything on the main floor from everywhere else in the main floor. And my mom um was kind of a minimalist and um you know, there were some toys that we kept in our rooms, but our rooms were not sort of like we had quite small rooms. And so often our, our toys were in the basement because that was the only place that there was room for them. And they were in different types of boxes. Like there was a Barbie box and a stuffies box and a art supplies box. And my sister and I were only allowed to bring one box up at a time. Right. And we could play with the things in that box. And then if we're like, no, I want to do Legos. Now we had to put everything back in the box from like the art supplies and then put it away in the basement before we were allowed to bring the next thing up and that's kind of like my dream that's how i operate too because i tend to crumple in the face of visual clutter um as you know uh but like what a what a flex to remember what toys you had right yes. because they are all in the basement and you can't see them um and my brain was fresher than than it is now and i used to be able um to do that and so now like uh i find myself when i'm writing um doing little bits of paper, right? Or like I print things out and I spread them out on the floor so I can Mm -hmm. see them all at the same time. Or I add post-it notes to stuff because like my maximalist early tendencies to put everything on paper to write as much as I I think I can then inevitably leads me to a situation where if I can't see it, I don't know it exists anymore. So I often tend to reproduce um, the same ideas more than once because I forgot that I already wrote it. And here is something that I just had an idea of a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, maybe I'm supposed to forget some of these things. Yeah. Right. Maybe it's not just a matter of remember all the ideas so you can cut some of them. Maybe it's just like, you forgot about that document where you wrote a whole side quest about toxic masculinity in Robocop uh, and it didn't make it into the book. Maybe like, that's fine because the book worked without it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, it's right? Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah to forget, like maybe if you really, really wanted to paint and it suddenly occurred to you, oh no, I wanna paint, you would be like, oh, actually I own paints, <laughs> right? But if the, right, so maybe sometimes like that forgetting is okay. But I think because our brains are so buggered up uh, mm-hmm. that many people with ADHD um, feel that forgetting things is like a mark of personal failure. But sometimes yeah. you forget things because your brain is actually winnowing out the memories you need to keep from the ones that you don't. But since we forget everything,
0: yeah like, we don't know right
1: like because that's the... the optometrist today like i don't know we're so afraid of forgetting things that that the things that we are just pruning out of our brains as a process of kind of editing our own ideas or what have you um that we're afraid of that right we're afraid of forgetting anything now does that resonate with you at yeah. all oh
0: yeah. yeah well and especially when um the things that my brain chooses to remember is just Ah. like, what the, like, and I'm not even talking about like song lyrics, which yes, they're all up there and Mm -hmm. wow. Um, lots of space, but like, you know, and my kids are like this too, where they'll just draw on this random memory and I can do that or it's like, I will remember these random seemingly inconsequential things, right. About my life, about what happened about anything, But then like, I won't know anybody's name that it happened no. to, right? No. Like, uh, you know, uh, I'll remember like really seemingly inconsequential things, but the things that matter, I will guarantee you, I can't tell anyone with it. I could tell you their whole life story, but not their name. Oh, sure. Right. Oh, sure. You know, like, and so it, it, it gets to be that, like, you know, that, that distrust of memory too,
1: yeah. right?
0: Like, like you said, right? But there's so many things that we do forget and so many things that we remember and go, why the hell am I remembering this? Like, why is that taking up valuable real estate? Like Yeah, you know, our memories my brain. betray us
1: because yeah. they're hyper functional in areas where we're like, this is not useful to me, right? But then sometimes when we need our memories, they will not come, right? So I'm always missing yeah. appointments. That's my A number one trick. But like another thing that I do is I crumple in the face of direct questioning. So if you were to say, Amy, what do you know about like racism in Canadian fitness culture. And I'd be like, but today you posted a link um, to the episode that at the time we're recording this, we had just released and you called it body break. And I was like, Oh, Hal and Joanne from body break. Wait, I read five things about, you know, Hal's attempts to like break down racism in sports casting in Canada, which I never would have got to, if you'd asked me a direct question about racism in sports broadcasting, but it came at it sideways or like this little trigger of like this, you're like, ha, ha, ha. You know, if you're from Canada, you're going to know what this means. And I was like, I know what this means. Oh, 10 other facts. And then I just sit there thinking like, I could never have accessed that information on purpose that was inside my own head. And so I walk around like, um, like as an academic, it's my job to know things. And uh, I walk around constantly in terror that someone's going to say like, what are the top 10 books in your field? And I'd be like, I don't even know what books are right can you show oh, me
0: what me? should I read oh god yeah, I, read? I, don't I don't know, fucking know. I don't like, know I'm swearing
1: about it because it's yeah. so stressful to me and yeah. I'm
0: yeah oh no, no no I get it too and I know I'd like oh you have a dhd in comparative literature yeah. What, should yeah. I be reading? yeah what are some great books I'm like I don't know I don't know I don't know. Ask me
1: something about cheese and I'll tell you about whether rennet is vegan or not. Like, yeah. I don't know, right? Ask me a question about something else and I'll give you the plot of seven different novels that I could not name for you right now because you've asked me yeah. directly. Or so their author's my memory is treacherous. My brain is yeah. treacherous. My my amazing multitude of bits of knowledge is treacherous because it pops out when I don't need it and when I'm like, "Come on, brain, help me out." Right? What are the books we should put on the PhD required reading list? I don't know. And I don't, I literally don't. I have read so many books, Lee, so many books. And they're Mm -hmm. like, okay, so now we need to tell the PhD students in this field, what are the important books in this field? And I'm like, I don't even know what field I'm in anymore. Like I just, (laughs) right. Right? Like, I don't know. What should I read? (laughs) If you give me a draft of the reading list, I'll be able to tell you what's wrong with it.
0: But yes, I can't make exactly.
1: it from nothing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So much is in my head.
0: None of it comes out when yeah. I want it. to. So I was at a job interview um, and this was, this was sort of like, it was going to be hard to take it, but anyways, so my alma mater at university of Sherbrooke was actually hiring somebody in comparative Canadian literature. Oh, <gasps> I know. And it was, I, I became, there was a lot of finalists, but I was a finalist, which makes sense. Um, and I went in and, um, it, it, it was all happening really fast and, and haven't stand So I actually been on vacation just before the interview. I mean, sure. And so had no time to get. And so, so I started preparing for it and, you know, my, my dissertation then and came a book was on translation and all that kind of stuff. So I had all that in my head and I had started thinking about orality, um in in Danny Laferriere's books and all of that kind of stuff and I had done the research and I'd found all the people and I can't even name the name anymore either right <laughs> but uh Hiller maybe yeah anyways but but I was just sent for this for for like a loop because it's like well we know you know a lot about translation studies and so we feel good about that talk to me about your your new research now in orality who are the people that you've been reading and I could see that Damn book on my shelves, right? The section on my shelf where you could find it, right? I could see the cover, the color, the image. Could I remember the words and this the author so name on it? This no. is so relatable. That's the nightmare scenario. That's a and, nightmare and, scenario. Yeah. And in a job interview, no less of like what my dream job was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right? And be like, the dictionary defines orality as, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, Like, I think orality is about talking. Hold on, can I look at my
0: notes for this? Yeah, like, can I? Hard question, right? Could you just let me? Like, I I know it. Like. You know, and, and I was feeling really proud of myself too as I was going through this research um, that I had very quickly found on my own the foundational texts yeah. for this particular thing. And I was like, yeah. wow, that didn't actually take that long. And I must really know what I'm doing for it when it comes to research because it's this whole new field that I've never studied and never done anything with. And here I am finding these foundational texts and making sense of all of this kind of stuff. But, but what are their names? What are their names? The- no. <laughs> idea just like (laughs) gone um yeah and I I was just like and and, you know uh, one of those moments where you're just literally almost in tears right like you're just and oh sure and these are you know and these are people I knew on top of Mm -hmm. it like maybe it would have been actually it was a little better that I knew them right if it had been absolute strangers like the rejection would have like kicked in big time but I'm like they know me I'm like ugh this is who I am. They must know that I was there for five years. Like, they,
1: <laughs> you know, this, this kind of feels that anecdote that you're sharing feels to me like it, it is in some way analogous to a stutter, right? Like it's yeah. not that in a stutter that you don't know how to talk. It's that somewhere in between your brain and your mouth, something gets stuck, right? That mm-hmm. there is a block that doesn't have anything to do with your competence, right? It yeah. has to do with the, um, the, the situation, or it has to do with like some neurological or physiological quirk that makes it impossible, like to access that specific piece of information in the specific way it is being required of you. And like, I know that some of the therapies for, um, for a speech, uh, for stuttering is like, if you have certain sounds that are problematic for you work around them right? Or like craft beginnings of sentences that do not use those sounds so that you can at least unhinge your mouth and get started. And like, so like there are are workarounds, like I, uh, for like the thing that you're describing, and I know on this podcast before, I've talked about how when I want to design a syllabus, I need to be in front of my bookshelves and I would drag my fingers Mm -hmm. along the shelf because I'm like, oh, I'm teaching a course in media history. Like I think TV is part of that. Like the end. Like I don't know. I mean, I've read. I probably own seven textbooks about media history. I could not tell you the names of any of them. I, you know, have like, like field guides to media history. I have like compendiums of like academic articles about it. I have like encyclopedias of media history, and I don't remember. And I'll be like, Raymond Williams, maybe like what? Like I don't know. But if you put me in front of my shelf and I can run my finger along it. I can see all those books that I read, and once I can put my finger on the spine of that book, I'm like, "Oh, this one was about this," <laughs> right? Um, yeah. But that's like a, a little workaround um, in between. Like I, I'm trying to be kinder um, to my brain, and I hope our readers can be kinder to their brains too. That sometimes when you choke, right, when you choke <laughs> in the face of like things that you know you know very well, it's because your brain bucket is too full. Yeah. Right. It's not like you're trying to. You're like you're like Cher Horowitz in um, clueless. Oh, right? yes. You need a computer to generate your outfits for you because your closet is actually so full that you would never be able to pick an outfit by yourself if you didn't have this kind of like shorthand index way of accessing the different tops, right? <laughs> and color schemes um, in your wardrobe. So I think, like, I think we are all in our own ways, ADHD people, maximalists, right? Yeah. We pay too much attention. I mean, that's classic, right? It's not the attention yeah. deficit. It's like, the deficit is in the direction of attention to the thing that requires attention but we're full of attention all the time and that attention usually results in maximal participation in things that our attention is directed at uh, with an accompanying inability to filter that back into something useful. I mean, I think it's part of the same thing as like when you're in like a, a crowded space and you're trying to talk to somebody who's directly in front of you, but you cannot get over the noise that the lights are making. And there's some little kid playing a video game that's flashing bright, bright lights in your peripheral. And you're like trying so hard to pay attention to your friend, but you cannot filter out all these other things that you're simultaneously paying attention to. Like maybe the things that are inside our heads maximally are like that too. There's just so much information that's trying to come out. So much like ideas about dresses, so many ideas about RoboCop, right? So many ideas for creating yoga sequences, so many different routes that I could plan for my runs, so many different meal plans that I could make that they just clog in like this bottleneck of my executive function trying yeah. to get it to come out. So like, that's kind of the that's kind of the ADHD paradox there is like, there's so much that comes in and often so much that comes out, but to try to be like, answer the question that someone directly asks you or produce the competence required in a very focused way on a limited type of thing that someone else requires of you is like, honestly makes my brain stutter.
0: So we're going to end that here. Spoiler alert. This wasn't actually gonna be two episodes, it's gonna be three episodes. So join us over the next two weeks for part two and three of our conversation on um, too muchness and maximalist tendencies of ADHD and how all the things are all the things as well as um, 80s dystopian movie trivia. Uh, Have fun and stump your friends with these things or maybe fall down your own rabbit hole for those. Uh, Feel free to share with us what random knowledge you have and what rabbit holes you've fallen down. Uh, around, uh, you know, when you should be doing something else, uh, as always, I am ready writing on Twitter. Amy is digiwonk on Twitter. You can email us at all the things, ADHD at gmail.com. Uh, you can also visit our website, all the things, ADHD.com. Uh, still don't have any additional resources that I've added because ADHD. Uh, so, uh, hope to see you, hear from you, borrow your ear, lend me your ear, lend you, lend us your ears, uh, next week in the week after that and the week after that, um, and the week after that, uh, until we decide, uh, season three is done, maybe for a summer break. I don't know. It'll probably go over the summer and then end once the semester starts up again in our lives, get back to being insane. Anyway, thank you for listening. Hope to, hope you lend us your ears next week. Same time, same place. Um, yeah, just, I'm obviously clearly struggling with the day and, uh, try to stay focused everyone. Thanks.